0: Awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the worthy of everything show.
1: Are we starting the podcast now? Or- oh, we've been on the podcast, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, welcome to the Death to Life Podcast. My name is Richard Young. And today's episode is a conversation with my guy, Justin Koo. Justin Koo has a lot of stuff going on. He has a YouTube channel called I'm Listening, where he interviews a bunch of different people that really just have different views that he does. Uh, he used to be the that Christian vlogger guy, um, but now he's the I'm Listening guy. He is a host of the Free Flow Show. He did a, a like a 60 to 70 episode uh, podcast on the Book of Romans with Jonathan Leonardo called The Move. Uh, he's a jet setter. He's all around the country just speaking on telling stories and listening. But uh, I know him as just my friend that I got to know a little bit last year. And his story has got some stuff that um, I'm really excited that you get to hear about. So, uh, yeah, enjoy this. Be blessed by this episode uh, with Justin Koo. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Yo, Richard,
2: are you about to do the podcast?
3: I'm Soul to the price that's yeah, paid for. Oh my god, it's the life I was made for. We do it, major, we do it, major. On oh my soul, check the price that's yeah, paid for. oh my god, it's the life I was made for. We do it, major. We do it, major, yeah. yeah.
1: The okay so <laughs> let me ask you this question uh and I've, i'm i was putting myself in your position a couple uh about eight years ago mm-hmm. and it's what is she she's 30 weeks How or maybe that's somebody else who's 30 weeks she's How 20 20 she? weeks she's halfway through. oh okay 20 weeks my my friend my other friend is 30 weeks so 20 weeks halfway through what are the feelings right now like how are you feeling about this whole thing i'm feeling good
0: um this last week was kind of like the very beginning of it starting to feel real Mm -hmm. so when emily had the first ultrasound i was uh in washington dc or something like that it's pretty Mm -hmm. far away uh, on a work trip and then the, the second doctor's office it was weak i mean it was like we didn't really have an ultrasound so i didn't get to see anything it was just um like they monitored the heart rate so i got to hear the heart rate of the baby but mm-hmm. it's just like woo, 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 woo. like it doesn't sound like anything but mm-hmm. this last week for the for the doctor's visit um they did like a, a really thorough ultrasound and I actually just released a video about it um we got to see like the actual baby and see it moving and like there was this mm-hmm. moment where they were zooming in like the ultrasound was coming in like from the feet like the bottom of the feet and then mm-hmm. like here are the toes and you just see like this hand come and like grab its toes and i'm hmm. like oh snap like that's
2: freaking cool <laughs>
0: It's like this baby is is real. This baby is alive, and it's like an actual thing that's happening. And so, yeah, man. I mean, this week it's it's kind of it's kind of become a little bit more real.
1: I I think like most people are like me. I think most people think like this, and then you realize, oh, these people are not like me. So <laughs> I'm going to tell you how I felt, and then you tell me how exactly you're not like me. Okay. Uh, I think that for I'll say for guys, for Rich, it was hard to develop um, a relationship with the ultrasound and even the baby in the belly. And I didn't really get an attachment. Like when she was born and I was holding her, I was like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> but for the first couple of years, we were on like this strict routine and I was, if it wasn't for that routine, I would have, I don't know what I would have done, but I was just keeping her alive because Natalie was still working. She would, after, after she went back, but I didn't really develop a relationship with the child until maybe one and a half or two. And I'm wondering, are you finding it Okay because she's developing a relationship with this baby because it's in her right and right when the baby's born she's still she would have had this long experience with this child and you are having your first experience with the child are you finding it hard to connect that or is it just like no like, i it think it that that makes that makes sense connecting?
2: to
0: me no it makes sense to me um also i'm not like a super I'm not really in touch with my emotions if like, you know, that's one way to put it. Um,
2: <laughs> Maybe I you are. I, like don't,
0: <laughs> I, I don't get amped. Oh, well, I, I get excited. Like the, the emotion that I feel is happiness and joy. But aside from that, like those other emotions don't really process well for whatever reason. Actually, as part of my story. And I, I I was actually thinking about it this week. Um, mm-hmm. There's, I think, I think there's connections as to why and all that, but when we get there, we get there. But the idea is, like, it takes a lot for me to feel moved. Hmm. Um, and this, this is—I've just known this to be true in many stages of my life. Hmm. Um, for example, this past summer, my my grandmother passed away. Hmm. It hmm. wasn't a, a thoroughly emotional experience, though. I was close to my grandmother. It was kind of like, mm-hmm. oh. You know, grandma passed away. Like, that sucks. Okay. You know, like, it, 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 life hits me very matter of fact oftentimes. And so I'm not even really expecting to feel how the movies portray men oftentimes feel, whether that's overwhelmed or excited or whatever, when like they have a child. Mm-hmm. I would, I like, if I, if I have that moment when I first hold the baby, like cool, but I also wouldn't be surprised if I didn't have that. Like just looking back on my life, marriage wasn't one of those things like standing at the altar saying, I do, it was cool. Like I was happy. And like, it's a, Uh it's a very important thing to me, but it wasn't like this. Oh, Justin, are you going to cry at the altar? Like, no <laughs> like why would i cry that doesn't make any sense <laughs> like that's this kind of how i i go about life and process emotions and so there's a lot of that yeah. when it comes to even the baby too
1: but there's so much pressure now put on by either our culture or media movies that you're supposed to be a specific way if you're a good dad quote-unquote Like you're supposed to feel a certain way and act a certain way. And I'm just, I feel like maybe we are similar because I, I didn't bend to that at all. I'm just like, yeah, I love this baby. But when I thought about the baby, I wanted to get past the baby stage. Like yeah, I, I feel similar. Was I know not cool. Like I, it's just like, it was very difficult and I'm not good at that stuff. Like I said, the routine kept it alive. And so I was able to <laughs> keep her alive, but it wasn't enjoyable outside of the fact that, Oh, I love this human being. Sure. And no, so, I,
0: I, I feel like that resonates with the way I'm seeing things. Now, Emily is really excited for like the zero to three. I'm like super excited for like five onward. Yeah, like I want it to be able to talk and to think and to do things with it, you know, all that kind of stuff wiping its butt, not yeah. super interested, you know, bottle feeding it like whatever. Like I don't no. think I'm really built for that. And And maybe that changes. Maybe I find out like, I love it. And if I do great, but I also wouldn't be surprised if I don't.
1: No man, when I was yeah, when we were pregnant and I was thinking about the kid, I was not I was thinking about when they're nine. Oh, and all we'll go to the Chiefs game or oh I can show her Star Wars. Something 100%, like that. 100%. But it wasn't like oh Well you're getting this, there now. Yeah. Last week we uh I'm gonna show her ET this weekend. Just oh, fun. I feel like seven is a good age for ET. Maybe not. Maybe I'll be watching it with her and I'll be like, oh, there's some stuff in this movie that I didn't remember <laughs> in here. And she's I like remember being of afraid
0: that. of ET at, at one point. I remember <laughs> like at some point being afraid of something that happened. But I mean,
1: yeah, man. So when you're thinking of the child and then you're going back and you're thinking about your childhood. And you're thinking about how you learned and how you grew and even what you learned about God. um, What are some things that you're thinking, I'm not going to talk about it this way. And I'm not going to talk about it that way. And it's kind of a segue into like how you grew up and things that you believed and um, what you're thinking about? Are we are,
0: are we in the podcast now? Is this podcast talk? Or are we still just oh, talking? We've, shop? Been
1: in the, we've been in the podcast.
0: Oh, this <laughs> is the podcast. Okay. <laughs> I don't is know, Death man. Life with Richard, yeah, uh, I I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that, and I don't know if that's like naive of me, and I really ought to be like I got to come up with a game plan, but I I don't look at raising a kid right now. On this side of things, like this is completely ignorance speaking. But I don't look at it as a static thing. So I'll give you an example. Like my my parents are divorced uh, and I have a half sister on each side. So I'm the oldest of five, me, my brother, my sister from my parents. Okay. They got divorced. I have a half sister on each side. And I get to watch how my parents parent my half siblings and Especially with like my dad. My dad was trying to figure things out as a father. Um, and will openly admit to my face, Justin, we made all of our mistakes on you. And <laughs> am <laughs> like, thanks, dad. That makes me feel fantastic. <sighs> yeah. And uh, like, so I get to observe the difference in parenting styles. And I think early on that it was something that I felt resentful of. Cause they were really hard on me in many mm. ways, like just heavy handed in, in more ways than one. And so like, when I think about my default, uh, predisposition, like that's obviously what I default to cause it's what I'm used to. Um, and then I get to witness that not being the case with my siblings. And then I get to witness, um, through living, you know, in proximity to Emily's family that that's certainly not the way that her Caucasian American kind of cultural like framework. It's, it's not the same as the Asian American framework. Hmm. Um, And so it's, it's been both like really challenging to think, well, what do we do? Like what's Hmm. right then? Because even what I'm used to doesn't always feel right. Like you're saying, like you're predicating the question with, well, what are you going to do differently? As though Mm-mm. you assume that there were things that were done wrong, which are very likely the case. Um, but even if they did things quote unquote, right, there's also the right way that my wife was raised, you know? Um, we, and I think I, I made an Instagram post about this a while back. It's like this idea that cultures and families are, Very, very, very similar. Very few cultures, very few families want to raise their kids with uh, uh, disrespect towards elders, uh, a Mm. lack of a work ethic, you know, lack of integrity. No, like everyone wants their kids to be honest. They want them to be hardworking. They want to be respectful. But the way that they even interpret the value is very different culture to culture and family to family, if not even child to child. Mm -hmm. And more specifically, the way they try and rear or develop this trait is very different from child to child. So to me, it's like highlighting the the fault in attempting to, before I even know my child, come up with a framework of how I'm going to raise my child. Hmm. I don't see successful parenting as being a static thing based off of rules and principles as much as I do seeing it as like this living adaptable and malleable thing that's done in direct uh like unison with the child and it takes a little bit more paying attention it takes a little bit more thinking it's certainly not the easiest thing because every child's going to be different and so like that's why like right now I'm giving myself the pass and not really thinking about how I'm going to parent. Like this that's, is the reason why I don't have an idea, yeah. but my solution is like, well, if God's the ultimate parents and he's truly living in me and teaching me, I believe that he's going to teach me how to parent a specific, a specific child, not to quote unquote, be the a good parents like that fits a model because it might be that, my dad's parenting style will be terrible for my firstborn, but great for my second or thirdborn. And it might be that Emily's parenting styles might be terrible for the second and third child. But you see what I'm saying? It's it's dynamic. It, it's not like a singular thing. Good parenting mm. is not a singular thing in my mind right now.
1: Man, that brings up so many things. Somebody just asked me, this was last night, about how what's parenting and freedom like? hmm And i was thinking about that because so much of the time we know things don't work yet we do them anyway Mm -hmm. and this this guy i work with was telling me about how how he doesn't accept participation trophies for his kid he's like oh man my kid won this or his team was horrible. They lost all this. And then they got the participation trophies. And right when they handed his, I I took it and I threw it in the trash. And oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, this is why we, we don't do this. And, and I, and I was just like listening and I was trying to act like I wasn't horrified because he did, <laughs> that it, sounds in whole, he, he did it in front of a whole group of people. If if you would have done that in private, I would have been a little cooler with it. But he did it in front of like all the other parents who were like championing their kids getting these particip- part- participation trophies. And then we go in a little bit deeper. And I'm like, bro, you seem like you're a little angry. Can we talk mm. about like, like were, did people, Why are we, why are you like this? And he started describing his parents mm. and how his dad and mom were just super hard on him. And I was like, was that a good thing? He's like, no, man, it's made me like super resentful. And I'm thinking like, he doesn't get it. He's Mm. telling me about this thing and he doesn't realize that's why he is the way he is with his boy. But the reason why he's so hard on his boy is because his parents were hard on him, yet he knows that it caused this resentfulness in his life but he Mm. hasn't put the two together and he doesn't understand that it's going to create the same resentfulness. Like his son might learn like this toughness and he might grow up to be this tough, tough guy who throws participation trophies in the trash and you don't, you didn't earn it. And then at the same time, be completely resentful to the person who taught him how to live that way. Mm. Because we know something doesn't work, but yet that's all we know sometimes and so we go back to it yeah and and so they they asked me what's it like parenting in freedom and i've parented before freedom and i've parented after freedom and i guess my answer was just like it's actually about what's best for the kid It's not what's best for your reputation. Hmm. It's not what's best for how you see yourself. Because sometimes you parent because that's how you are as a parent. And not because that's what that kid needs to hear. You know, this is
0: like one of the never mentioned benefits of your parents being divorced. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of, you know, trauma involved in that process. And I know for a lot of my peers who have been through something similar, it's probably like even more traumatic, you know, from stories that I've heard. But one Mm -hmm. of these silver linings is is you now actually get to see two different parenting models. And as a child, Hmm. that's like really, you know, cognitive dissonance. It's like, like, what, what do I do? What is working and what's not? And it's a really challenging thing as a child. But growing up to be an adult now, it's like, I actually got to see three, four, five different parenting styles. Hmm. And there's parts of certain things that I really appreciate and parts of certain things that I don't. And so, you know, you grow up in a family where your parents were married, you know, when they had you and have always been married and always been on the same page, you know, that's great. And I, I think the statistics would bear out that that's on average better than not but it also means that you only have one worldview mm-hmm. and stepping outside of that is really tough.
1: Mm. Who are you telling man? That's <laughs> that's <laughs> I, I when, when I first got married, I was like, there's only one way and there's only one successful way. And it's the way my parents did it. And I love my parents to death and they're amazing parents. But because of what you're talking about, that's the, only way that i saw right. things to be done and my but, wife but don't was like, we do this no, bro. <laughs> don't like, don't Chill. we do this
0: with so many other aspects of our life though like it makes sense in parenting when i when i talk about it in this way but with religion too like with adventism adventism must be a very specific thing and depending on what part of the country or what part of the world you grew up it might look different like your observance of sabbath might be implemented differently by your family. And, and the, the problem that we do, um, the, the problem is oftentimes that we, we, we uh, project our version of religion onto other people. And because of an insecurity and maybe because of a, a lack of freedom, we then think if other people aren't doing religion like we're doing it, then they're wrong.
1: Yeah, you can be you can grow up in Maine and then end up in medical school in Southern California and you could say what is going <laughs> on with these people and then you can grow up in Southern California and get a medical practice in Maine and you would say the same exact thing because it isn't it isn't your where you grew up, it's kind of that's the way you do it and there's hmm. and it's different moving from east to west and west to east it's but you're right we we hold on to that maybe that's not it <laughs> maybe maybe it's not yeah yeah
0: but but this is why like religion can become such a a, a tumultuous thing it's because we're so insecure about just letting someone be and let them be stewarded by the Holy Spirit. Like, I think this is one of the things that freedom has taught me now is that like, not everyone has to look like me. Not everyone has to live like me. It doesn't have to be the same thing. It's actually entirely possible for God to be leading them and, and guiding them and for their lived faith expression to be vastly different from mine. And, and that's okay. It doesn't actually mean that what they have is less real or what I have is less real.
1: So why are we insecure
0: about it? Why are we insecure? Is because we oftentimes look to other people to confirm that we're in. Like, huh. like I'm good, right? Like, I'm good. And you kind of like look around, you look to your left, I'm good, right? And you like kind of lock eyes, lock eyes with your friend. Like, I'm good. Yeah, nod your head. Yeah, 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 yeah you're good. Oh, you're good. Oh, yeah, I'm good. And like, <laughs> as long as I look like the crowd, as long as I'm doing all the things that people are doing, then I feel good but this is the the challenge of like not actually understanding your true identity because if your identity is based off of your comparison with other people well it's great as long as you fit in but then you go home and you realize no that's actually not how i live that's actually not who i really uh view myself as like then this is where insecurity and the imposter syndrome starts to creep in this idea of like oh i'm i'm the odd person out in this in this church or in this classroom or fill in the blank. It's because we're constantly looking to the left and to the right, measuring ourselves against other people.
1: So let's talk about what your identity was then growing up. Um, when did you start developing what you thought was your identity? So, I've been thinking about
0: this over the last week. Um, one, one of the most profound experiences that I had, and, and maybe my, one of my, no, my first like real spiritual experience was when I was in, I want to say it was like the fifth grade. Um, I had a teacher that just made the Bible come alive and it was just this exciting and beautiful thing. Uh, and I finally get baptized you know, as kind yeah. of as everyone, everyone in my class did. And actually there's, how, how long form is this? Like how long, like
1: we go until to, we I, stop going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I okay. mean, have you seen the time length on some of these? Uh, Morgan's was like two and a half hours. BB's was two and 15. I don't, if people are going to listen to this, they're going to listen to it. If not, then they can <laughs> do right. it. I, I have no burden. Okay,
0: cool. Uh, because I'm used to telling my testimony in like fifteen minute chunks. Cause like you no, know, when you give a man. worship or a, a sermon or whatever, it's like yeah. stay on the time.
1: That's not okay. It. This, so this is not that.
0: Okay, so I'll tell you uh, the funny backstory of it. Uh, I was in class. I was always that kid who, like, was either my desk was in the corner or directly across from the quiet kid. Because I was always wild and out, I was always distracted, just doing my own thing. And so one day, I'm distracted as can be, and I look around the classroom, and like all my classmates are raising their hand now. So of course, well, what do you do? Any logical person, you you put your hand up there as well. And it turns out the principal was standing by the front door with like a clipboard or something like that, taking down names of kids who had raised their hands. As it turns out, oh, no. what the question was prior to people raising their hand was how many of you guys would like to get baptized and do baptismal studies (laughs) so i'm like oh yeah for sure (laughs)
2: me too
0: so i find myself in these like weekly bible studies in the fifth grade but like i didn't want to be there i didn't care at that time right so i literally because like they would do like the lessons and then they would do a quiz after every lesson to make sure you got the, the lesson down pat Mm-hmm. I literally cheated my way through baptismal classes Let's in the fifth go. grade. Like I'm copying answers off my neighbor. <laughs> like uh, It's just like, so I find myself getting baptized this one day and like, cool. It was whatever. Like you know, I'll tell you.
1: Little, you're in the baptismal and you're like, what's going on? I, I guess I'm bro.
0: here. Bro. Bro, so like me and like five other of my classmates, we got baptized on the same day in the same church. It's a massive church in Southern California, Vallejo Drive Santa Adventist Church. It's one of the larger churches in, in the conference there. And I was the first of my friends to get baptized. So I get in the in the uh, the baptistry, and I'm remembering my mom's story when she got baptized. She was telling me her story. It was like super cold water. So like the thing that I'm worried about is like, is the water gonna be cold? Is it gonna be warm or what? Turns out they had heated the, the, the water. And so I'm like, oh, this is actually really dope. I get baptized and that was cool. But rather than have like me go in, get baptized, go out, next person comes in, they thought it would be cool for all of us to stay in the tank while our friends were getting baptized. So I was the first one. Then my friend comes in and she gets baptized. But I'm so absent-minded and so distracted. I have ADD, ADHD, if, you, like, if it doesn't come across clearly. Um <laughs> I get so distracted. I forget where I am and I'm like dropping my head under the water. I'm like blowing bubbles. I'm like starting to swim around in the baptistry. Like as the baptism is taking place, like I'm just not there for the right. I cheated my way through baptism classes. Like just (laughs) clearly not supposed to be doing this. This is not a big moment in my life. So that afternoon we leave the church and I'm driving home with my family, with my, I think it was my dad or mom or whoever it was. And on the way home, I'm picking on my brother. My brother's two years younger than me. You know, there's a, I'm sure there's a million and one stories that he could tell of me like being a punk and just like picking on him all the time. Mm-hmm. And one of my parents basically turns around and like calls me out. It was like, dude, Justin, like you just got baptized. Like, and you're already picking on your brother. Like, if you're going to be serious about this whole Jesus thing, like you can't be picking on your brother. Mercy totally reasonable thing to say i think like i don't think that there's any reason to think that that would cause lasting shame and guilt and like identity issues but this is exactly what happened mercy from from the moment i'm driving home from church i start to view myself as not good enough like i'm not good enough to be baptized i'm not good enough to consider myself a Christian, I'm not good enough to really do this whole thing because, man, I already screwed up, and it's been ten minutes. What? And little did I know that this would color the way that I perceived God so much. I mean, you throw uh, the challenges of being the firstborn. Uh, I was not only the firstborn in my family, but I was the 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 firstborn of my generation on my mom's side. Um, you add the complexity of the honor and shame culture, uh, you know, of of Asian immigrants. You know, the the pressure to perform in school, like there's like this massive burden placed on Asian American kids. Maybe heavier for the firstborn. Heavier if you're male. Like hmm. the whole thing is just like heaped on my shoulders. And this resounding message comes through through many times in my my upbringing that I'm not good enough. I don't, I don't perform well enough. And in fact, like that's an explicit message when report cards come home or fill in the blank, it's just this resounding, like you try hard, maybe you could have tried a little bit harder, but even then, like, you're not good enough. You're not measuring up. And I would, I guess, kind of impose that frame of mind to everything in life, including my walk with God.
1: Wow. So, from the beginning, your parents didn't mean to do this, obviously. Oh, of course and not. Of course if not. If they heard this, if they're listening to this podcast, they'd probably be... <laughs> hi, mom. Hi, dad. ...not happy um, because nobody wants to do that. Of course. Um, so, how did that manifest itself? Like, in your actions or in your... Yeah. Um,
0: you know, I, I guess we, I, I mentioned earlier, like imposter syndrome. I felt, I felt like that a lot in my life. Um, trying to keep up a facade that life was going good, but deep down really being unhappy with the way life was going. Um, and like, How did you this do the,
1: facade? What what did you do to keep up that facade?
0: Well, like you're sold a story of what makes you happy, right? And in high school, the story oftentimes looks some, something like, oh, play on a sports team. Oh, get a girlfriend. Like, oh, do well enough on school. Go have fun. Be part of the cool crowd. Like that whole narrative was was one that I had bought into. And, and I guess part of the problem was is that even if you have a version of that, it's still deeply un. un uh you're you're still deeply dissatisfied even in the middle of all that you know and i found mm. that to be i found that to be the case and you know i i remember one year i think it was like my junior year of high school one of the ways that i'm trying to seek the approval of people is you know by by being one of the funny guys or whatever the case and i remember actively thinking and observing one of my friends who it seemed like everyone really loved and liked. And, you know, he was really funny. And I and I was like studying the guy in class, like, what is he saying that's causing people to laugh and how do I emulate that? So I could be liked and I can, you know, all these things. And I, I started to realize that, Oh, he makes a lot of jokes and kind of teases people. And that's why people laugh. And it's a funny thing. And so I started like trying this out for myself and I start like really, you know, joking with people and teasing people. And I started to notice the more extreme that the jokes got, generally speaking, the more loud the laughs were. But I didn't realize in high school, how do you realize that the laughs are more of a defense mechanism? Like if I laugh, maybe that guy won't pick on me as opposed Mm. to like, oh, that's just an actually funny joke. And so what I found myself doing is just like really being a dick to people. Hmm. Like I was a jerk to so many people and out of this attempt to be accepted by my peers Hmm. and like the very thing that I'm wanting, I found myself kind of like working against it.
1: Hmm. So when, um, when that wasn't working out, you're still, you know, you know what doesn't work subconsciously but you're still trying it and it's not working um did you ever come to a point where you matured and you were comfortable but you still kind of were just living with it um because i'll just how i'm seeing this is i how i've come across you and we haven't known each other for too long but you have this long footprint on the internet Mm -hmm. and at some point i'm thinking that you had to get comfortable to start doing all of this stuff or now your Mm -hmm. world your worldview was changing and you became the spiritual guy on the internet how did we go from junior year to spiritual guy on the internet
0: yeah so that so my senior year of high school um Still kind of chasing the scene, trying to be in with people. And I remember during study hall one day, overhearing some of my friends talking about what they were doing last Friday night. And they were just using words. like, Oh, man, so much fun. I can't wait. Like, they're just like talking it up. And this was normally the crowd that on Friday nights, we would do poker nights. And we'd, you know, we'd all hang out, eat, you know, whatever. Just have a good time and whatever. So I'm thinking that they're playing poker. And I'm, of course, I'm going to try and like wiggle my way in and like get invited to the next game or whatever because, you know, it was something I enjoyed doing. Um, The story that they had told was that they were driving to the location and on the way back, this is so stupid, but this is literally what appealed to me at that time. The driver uh, had to pull over on the freeway because one of the passengers had farted in the car and it was so rank that the driver pulled over on the freeway so he could throw up because it was so rank. Oh my goodness. (laughs) It's just like stupid high school things, right? Like typical high school boys. And I thought it was hilarious. And so I'm like jumping in the conversation. I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's go. Like whatever. Like I'm kind of like assuming that I'm in, I come to find out the thing that they're going to was Bible study. Huh? Like, Totally caught off guard, did not think that this was what it was about. But, you know, of course, I'm down for whatever. And it turns out that the Bible study was like an hour away from our school. So we would drive one hour there, do the study, drive an hour back. And in my mind, I'm like, well, minimum that's two hours of like hanging out. Like that's, that's got to be worth something. So we started going these.
1: uh, Hold on. It's the principal coming in and you not realizing. (laughs) And then it's the fart joke that the Holy Spirit is using to get (laughs) (laughs) okay so I find myself
0: in these Bible studies right and like they're cool they're whatever I I definitely paid attention because it wasn't like this stale old crusty person who's giving a Bible study I'm just like dude like what are you doing like I remember thinking in, in high school like religion was for the stupid the ugly or the dumb You know, like it's just this kind of thing that you use to medicate your life if you don't have things going on. But of course, that's not for me because my life is great. Can't you tell? And of course, I'm not actually happy. So I started going to these Bible studies and the guy who's leading it out is a young dude. Like he had been in his 20s at the time. And like this guy's got his life together. He seems intelligent. He seems successful. And I'm just like, man, this is it was the first time I had seen like faith modeled by a young person in a way that was like that's vaguely attractive. Like that looks kind of cool. And so we'd come back week after week to the study hall and we would try to come up with the most absurd questions that we could think of because after every Bible study they you would have a planned lesson or whatever, Oh, we're going to study the mark of the beast, you know, whatever.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: After the study, he just like, all right, whatever questions you got about anything, like have at it. And this was my Mm -hmm. favorite part about the study because it was just like this pursuit of knowledge and i think that this was this was what was attractive to me about this individual is that this guy had a command of a subject that seemed taboo for someone of his age and Mm. so when we would throw out random questions like our goal literally was just come up with a random question that would stump the guy so you wouldn't have an answer and yet every time we asked him a question You'd be like, great question. He'd like, take it at face value. he would open up the Bible and be like, bam, see right here at this verse. And he'd read it out. And sure enough, it would be relevant to the question. Like, dang, this guy's like a freaking walking encyclopedia. This is kind of, kind of cool. And it's like this whole ego play is like, this guy knows stuff. Like he's got the in. So we would do this, you know, for however many, like towards, like throughout to the end of the year, towards the end of the year, we had uh, like a, like a spring formal or something along those lines. Like uh, it's like prom, but Adventist, you know? Yeah. Uh, and we were, I remember we were on a boat or something like that, all dressed up in like tuxedos and dresses and stuff like that. And there's another group of friends in a circle talking about what I, from what I can tell from what I can overhear their plans for the summer. And they're using like, oh, it's going to be, so, I can't wait. It's going to be so much fun, man. You guys going to have a blast, like yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, dude, all right. People got plans for the summer. We're going to go out of high school. You know, it's going to be fun. So I throw myself in the middle of the conversation. I'm like, yeah, I'm down. Again, like kind of like assuming that I'm part of this thing. Turns out what they were talking about, there were two people there who the previous summer had gone canvassing. I knew it. Now, you know what canvassing is, but, you know, it's, it's, think of Mormons, think of Jehovah's Witnesses. They go door to door every day trying to, like, sign people up for Bible studies or to preach the gospel or whatever the case is. Adventists, we have a version of this where we go door to door and we sell Christian books. Literature evangelism. Literature evangelism. And I, I threw myself into this conversation not knowing what it was about. Again, it's this, this kind of same theme, Right. <laughs> i'm like yeah let's go let's go so sure enough i get into the program the day after my graduation i show up at this church in the middle of nowhere in this facility expecting to see like six or seven of my friends who are all like yeah we're about it like let's go and no one showed up from that immediate circle of friends (laughs) turns out there was like one or two other guys that we like weren't part of that conversation who showed up but like not at all what I was thinking, but you know, of course I can't be a quitter. I can't do all the Like, you know, just the shame of starting something and not finishing it. So I'm like, all right, screw it. I didn't have summer plans anyways, needed a job. I'll do this anyways. In the middle of that summer, something happened, man, something clicked and, and God became real in, in a really powerful way. And I realized, Oh, this is, this is actually some version of this is what I want to do with my life.
1: I was Do you t- know I told you what it like, was that clicked?
0: It's just I had purpose for the first time. My, my life had meaning outside of my own pursuit of happiness. Um, you know, one of the questions that I was asked all the time growing up is like, it's not even like, oh, what are you going to be when you grow up? But like, It felt like the pressure was. And I don't think that my parents ever explicitly. No, this is not true. My dad did explicitly say this. <laughs> like he wanted me to be a dentist. My dad's a dentist. My mom's a teacher. The only way out in, in like Asian culture is like, you're a doctor or you're going to be a pastor or a teacher. Like there were very few alternatives. And so it was like, I was kind of groomed from the very beginning in my dad's mind to be the eldest son who would take over the business. But I hated science class. Like I literally cheated my way through every science class since like the seventh grade, except for physics, because physics had math and I happened to be good at math. Really stereotypical, but also happens to be true in my story. and people would ask what are you going to do and i just figured i i i knew this about my life that that no matter what i would do i would be miserable That there was nothing that i could think of in life that i really actually enjoyed aside from like let's call it video games but you know twitch wasn't a thing at the time like that that was not a career path so i remember thinking like oh i'll be a dentist because if i'm miserable at least i'll have money And that was my only consolation. I resigned myself to a future that was very unhappy. So I'm in the summer program. And for whatever reason, I have this deep sense of purpose now that, wow, like God's real. Like, like these were the conclusions during this first summer, God's real. Like, and I play a part in this grand story and it's this amazing thing. And so Yeah. So I decide that that's what my life's going to be about. That was the summer of 2007. And so I remember going to to college, changing up my major, ended up studying pre-seminary religious studies, religious studies, Mm pre-sem and kind of setting off on this new direction. I remember coming home from that summer uh, and my parents are so worried about me. They're like, this dude's straight up in a cult cuz I was so radically different from who 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 they sent off in that program was not who came back. And it's kind of it's kind of silly but it's very real. The thing that they realize like oh this isn't a phase. Like Justin goes through phases where he tries a new hobby or tries a new thing, but this is like lasting was when I came home and I'm like no, I'm going to be a vegetarian. <laughs> cuz you know, I, I'm sure it's similar in in your family but like you know, we ate meat at every meal. Like breakfast was, you know, if we ate breakfast, it's rice and meat, you know, that's what it felt like all the time. And Uh like, I was not the kind of person that was health conscious or whatever. I come home, I'm going to be a vegetarian. And they knew things were serious at that point. And uh, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot, more. I remember my mom talking to one of her best friends whose husband was a pastor. And like she tried to get me to talk to him to try and kind of steer me straight. Cause she was really afraid. Like I'm just like super extremist or whatever the case is. But in my mind, I was doing all these extreme things, taking stances on such small things, like really straining at a gnat, you know uh-huh. uh, about everything. So I came back. If you know, ultra conservative Adventists, like have you ever, have you ever run across these kinds
1: of people before? Uh, from time to time
0: from time like i mean i showed up to la sierra university bro and every (laughs) single day of that year i wore slacks and a button-up shirt with a tie as a freshman oh, in college, weird. except for Fridays, because I figured, oh, I'd relax. And so I wore slacks and a and a collar polo shirt or whatever, because I had this religious belief, because this is kind of what I was indoctrinated with at the time, that dress reform was a thing that, you know, God's people needed or whatever the case, you know, like I come back with this extreme views on the health message. And like, I, I realize that if you're not Adventist, all of this sounds very culty. And it that's exactly what it is. It, it, it is very culty. But like, I started pursuing all these things because it was a way for me to prove to myself that my life had changed.
1: You're, you're one of the people I just saw you interview. Actually, I'll tell you who it is later, um, had almost a similar experience where his senior year of high school, he was, he, maybe he was a, a little more crazy than from what you're describing, but then something happens in his life. And he dropped everything. He dropped the basketball team and he was a really good basketball player. He dropped all and he started like heavy. Um, one of my friends, they say in Australia, the very um, conservative Adventists are mm. called heavy sevies. And I feel <laughs> like that's the only way I can describe it. <laughs> that's he, genius. I love that. He, they, they went, he went heavy, sevy. uh, and I'm thinking of you on La Sierra's campus, dressed like that. And a heavy sevy on La Sierra's campus, I'm sure sticks out like a sore oh, thumb. 100%. Oh, yeah. And, and so, yeah, there's something um, that, but, but you were saying your motives, your motives yeah. to dress like this, your motives to now <laughs> after the fact, you can look back at your motives and what exactly were they?
0: Yeah. Cause my, my frame of work is my frame of mind is that like, I need to perform so that I'm not like this odd person out. Like I got to fit the bill. And so I knew what my life had looked like before. And to really in my own mind, settle the fact that God had changed my life. I needed to be able to point to certain things to show that my life had changed my diet was different my dress was different the kinds of people that i hung out was different the activities that i did were different the music that i listened to was different like all this was like evidence to me that i had changed that god had changed my life and the more rigid i was the more extreme i was with these things the more dramatic my change had been from god and Mm -hmm. so when it when it came to and i guess this kind of ties into our kind of preamble earlier about like parenting styles and religion Mm -hmm. it's like in order for me to successfully pass on whatever the thing that god had done in my life it meant that they had to look like me as well because how Mm -hmm. else does god work he actually changes you in this very specific format and if you don't like live up to the standards that i have then you didn't really change or it means that my change is kind of meaningless.
2: Hmm.
0: Wow. Does that make sense? I mean, that's super weird. I don't, I I can't imagine there's a lot of people out there who are going to hear this
1: episode that are like,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm tracking with you, dude. That makes a lot of sense.
1: (laughs) I think there's a lot of people that would actually.
0: Oh yeah. Um, Okay.
1: I don't think that they'd be listening to this episode, but (laughs) if they are listening to this episode, Um, no, but that's heavy that, um, I think that would take a toll, right? What kind of a toll did it take?
0: It was, it was rough, man. I remember that year of college. Um, there was a young lady that she and I started talking, became friends, became more than friends, but it was very weird. Because in this culture, like, did you ever grow up reading the book? I'm sure you did. Uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye.
1: It was a movement, bro. Like at (laughs) art school, it wasn't just a book. It was a movement. And I'm sure it comes in waves because the movement, I mean, I'm older than you, was about eight years or so before maybe you got this movement. Yeah. But it was crazy, and then last year or two years ago, he got divorced, and so I don't know what to right to think and about. he's no longer a <laughs> Christian <laughs> so anyway, yeah, tell me about
0: this so like I inherit this book from kind of my my mentors, if you will, at the time, and I'm like, this is dope. this is another way for me to do my life differently to prove that you know that I've been changed or whatever, but it was really challenged because this, this girl that I was interested in at the time, like I'm, she loved Jesus, but she wasn't like down, down like I was with all this crazy stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm putting all this pressure on her to live a certain way, to act a certain way. I'm showing her sermons and Bible studies about why music with drums are evil and why she shouldn't do this or that, or whatever the case is. And imagine trying to navigate a conversation where you're trying to like come clean, like, and of course you're doing this as like, you know, a child. It's already awkward, the conversation of like, hey, I like you, do you like me? Like, what does that mean? Like there's that that whole thing, but then also like dating is evil. And <laughs> if if we admit to having feelings for each other, the way that it was presented, the only alternative model was to like start with marriage as the intention right away from before our first date. Before we go on our first date, I have to talk to your mother and like be clear about my intention. Like it was oh, just like man. this whole thing and it was terrible. It doesn't and it's not even realistic. It's not. And the pieces don't fit together, but I tried really hard to make them fit together. <laughs> it
1: did not work. So that took it's like that's one way that it was it was taking its toll. What else did you see?
0: I think one of the things I started to see is that it started to alienate me from the
1: people that I loved. Wow. Um, you the know, people it, that your new life is supposed to serve. Yeah. Your new life is actually alienating you from them.
0: My family and my friends from high school stopped becoming the kinds of people that I looked forward to hanging out with and it was more the kinds of people that I was skeptical about because they weren't walking according to the truth or whatever language I used at the time. And the fear was that if I spend more time around them, then I might end up backsliding back to my old way of life. Hmm. And so I treated a lot of the people that I, I cared about and people who cared about me at that time very, very standoffishly that makes sense Hmm. and i only surrounded myself with people who were drinking the kool-aid as it were which isn't a terribly out of place analogy for for this way of living
1: wow so how did you manage doing things that you knew you shouldn't be doing with your new life from your senior year on, from your senior summer on to wherever you're at in college and you're now alienating people, how would you manage when you did do something that you knew you shouldn't do?
0: Um, That's a good question. I think that for this season of my life, I was actually pretty good at keeping the rules. Hmm. Like the rules that I had established in my own mind as important. I'd... I did pretty good at that. Um, And maybe it was like this kind of uh, like recoil effect from the lack of structure that I had in my life prior to this moment to like now I finally felt like I was in control of my life. There was a clear way to do life that made sense, that led to purpose and happiness. And the cost of it was all worth it. And so I actually just withdrew into this world more.
1: Stereotypically, that would create self-righteousness. Oh, absolutely. It it just seems like that would be the ingredients for self-righteousness. And so that's something you experience? 100%.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I actively thought of myself as better than other people. I would never have used that language to just say that because, you know built into this entire frame of work is this whole, like, no, woe is me. know, like I'm a, I'm the lowest <laughs> of the low, you know, like it, there's like this dual thing where it's like, I'm complete crap on one hand. Mm-hmm. Right. But on the other hand, like, actually I'm doing all right. Like I'm doing, all, I'm doing the things like I'm, I'm living the life. Like, so, you know, this whole literature evangelism phase, if you will, wasn't really a phase. It lasted 10 years. Like I've wow. knocked on over a hundred thousand doors as a literature evangelist. I have led I have I've have sold countless books and led programs that have maybe totaled sales over seven figures. Like I went ham on this thing. Like it was my <laughs> identity like hardcore. I went in. And that works, man. Like when you're firing on all cylinders and you're doing well, it works until it it until it doesn't work, you know what I mean? So when did it stop working? I think the major moment that it stopped working happened my first year of marriage actually huh. and there was like kind of like a decline that was happening in the maybe three or so years leading up to that uh-huh. where I was just it was too much of the same and it was just getting monotonous and boring and easy, honestly, Mm -hmm. like, where it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm doing really well, but I don't feel like I have to really try hard or work hard or rely on God at all. It just became like, I had developed the set of selling.
2: And
1: had you started the YouTube channel by this time?
0: No, no, not yet. Sorry. Keep going. Um, no, you're good. You're good. But, uh, I get to um, first, first year of marriage. marriage, and I'm in this funk, man. I don't know what was going on. Uh, Emily and I had met, and we had moved across the country, um, so we're both starting brand new jobs. I took a job for the um, Columbia Union, teaching at an evangelism school, and. That job required a lot of travel. I think our first year of marriage, I spent like 167 days out of the house traveling. Um, We're in a city where, you know, we didn't really know anybody at like when we first moved there. So no support system. And. I had found that I was really good at my job when it was under certain parameters, like back at home, back in California, I was doing really well, but out East, it felt like it was a completely different beast and work started to feel less and less like something that I can control that I could succeed at, that I could do well at, which was a really big problem because my whole identity was built on the things that I would do and my performance. And I would even interpret like, no, I got to be right with God. Otherwise, why would he be blessing me so much in this ministry that I'm working on? Hmm. But the ministry starts to not go so well. And, you know, there's all this other challenges of new married life and everything else. And I find myself in this really weird emotional state, just not knowing what's going on. And I remember one morning I was sent to the airport to pick up kind of one of our guest teachers for the day. Mm-hmm. and uh, this guy was telling me what he was just doing, and he just got back from this super long speaking circuit, this trip, and he spoke X number of times, and also he's telling me about his he runs ultra marathons, and he does like all these, and it's like an old dude. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, dang, man, this guy's killing, me. he's firing on all cylinders, and I ask him, like, mm-hmm. how do you manage all this stuff? And I didn't even, like, really have an intention with that question. It was just more me making small talk, but he basically mm-hmm. talks from that question, he he dives into this whole story about how he actually in at one point in his ministry had like a heavy season of depression where mm. things collapsed on him and it like, it wasn't working. And as he's saying these things, like it's starting to really resonate in a way that I wasn't comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I drop him off at the school later that day. I end up talking to my boss and kind of just, Hey, can I process something with you? And I start to share kind of, what had happened and i'm sharing a little bit about like how i'm feeling in the moment and my boss is just like i think from the way you're describing it, i think you're depressed Mm. and i'm like huh okay i never viewed myself as the kind of person that would ever be depressed i had always viewed people who were on the emotional kind of side of the spectrum as really weak mentally Mm -hmm. speaking and i wasn't that kind of person i had the ability to just like mute my feelings and work hard and do all these things. And it it really served me well in the previous 10 years of work and and life and stuff like that. But for whatever reason, what she said just clicked and she's like, would you be open to like going to counseling? And I was like, sure. Yeah. If that's going to help me get out of this funk that I'm in, heck yeah. Mm -hmm. And like that was probably the toughest that that is definitely the toughest year of marriage that I've ever had. And it's definitely been the toughest year of my life that I can look back on. Um, It took like, I don't know, it took like over a year to get out of depression. It was, it was rough. Um, And in that moment, just like life kind of fell apart. All the things that I'd built my identity on had kind of come out underneath from me. And the result was I was really unhappy. I was really discouraged and really burnt out and tired.
1: What brought you out of the depression?
0: I don't know that a specific thing brought me out of depression.
2: Um,
0: We, I kept going to counseling for like that year and that helped a lot. helped me process uh, emotions. Um, Counseling was really different than anything I had thought that it would be like you know, the the movies are like some, you're sitting lying down on a couch, looking at the ceiling. And how does that make you feel like, right? Mm-hmm. This counselor was really dope. Like she engaged with me on a, like on a thinking level that i rarely feel like I get to engage with. She would ask me the kinds of questions that would cause me to reexamine, like the presupposition of every idea that I had. And so it was kind of this consistent, like unraveling of, well, why do I believe a certain thing and what's the impact of that? And I forget, I, I can't remember any specific conversation, but I just remember being profoundly impressed with like how intelligent this person was and how it was actually helping me to make mm. sense of this broken worldview and this broken sense of identity. Um, it, it became clear that I put all of my identity like on my work, on my performance.
1: It's so crazy how we can even take something that we think is good, for example, literature, evangelism, or ministry, and our identity becomes that that thing, which, and we have no problem saying that that's our identity. And it's wrong, and we know it could even, it's probably an idol, but yet we still do it because it's a good thing, quote unquote. and. It's still sand though. Yeah, Living from sonship is much different than living from your performance in your ministry. And we get sucked into these things and we don't keep the main thing the main thing and it becomes about our sermons or how many books we sold or how many people listen to our podcast or how many YouTube views we have, or and that becomes our identity. And then we wonder why things aren't going well, and it's because our house is just built on some whack stuff. For and sure. And it sounds like that's a very simplistic way to say it, but it sounds like you were coming to grips with that at that time. Am I wrong? No,
0: uh, you're not wrong. It, it, it's. I was talking to Chico about this actually earlier today, about how... Mm. You know, depression wasn't the kind of th- is never the kind of thing that I would wish upon anybody or it's not the kind of thing that I would hope you know my enemies go through but it actually ended up being in hindsight after the fact a really good mm-hmm. thing mm. because it 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 was the catalyst for the breakdown of a broken cistern mm. you know what I you know what I mean when I say that absolutely yeah like it was just it became clear that all of my hopes were placed in this thing and that this thing wasn't going to get me anywhere. And that was good. Like that was necessary. It wasn't fun. Didn't feel good, but I'm really grateful it happened. Oh, so here's a funny, so I don't know if I, if you ever heard this story. Um, I had, uh, this was around 2016, or so this is when like Casey Neistat had just started his first season of the vlog which I don't know if that was a thing for you but like for me I was like all in on the Casey Neistat thing like that's kind of where I drew inspiration like the whole like idea of like doing YouTube was first started there I was one of those fanboys I remember like buying a boosted board because like I wanted to ride around on an electric skateboard like Casey Neistat you know
1: (laughs) so I would actually change the world in some ways for many people
0: Oh yeah, he's, major he's major ways. Huge. So I'm I'm chasing this down and I'm riding to school to teach on an electric skateboard back and forth. And one day after work, I just finished teaching a Bible class and I'm riding on the way home. And this guy out out of the middle of nowhere, as I'm riding on the skateboard, comes up and just sucker punches me in the face and i freaking get like in essence i get jumped like as i'm on this skateboard i fall off the skateboard my backpack my wallet my phone laptop camera goes everywhere i end up hitting the ground my face is busted open i actually have a video of like that night after i got back from the from the er i'm getting stitches and all that kind of stuff uh-huh. end up dislocating my shoulder uh, in the process tear my labrum i actually uh i'll show you because you were on the video but like these scars i think yeah these uh-huh. ones right here i had to have uh-huh. surgery because of this
1: mercy i get
0: jumped in this moment and like i don't know this guy from nobody and boom i get sent to the hospital the whole thing like i come home i'm okay when, long you, when short. you
1: fell he was just gone
0: so the way that it happened is like I had made a left turn at a light and I'm coming down this narrow street. It's like a two way street, one lane in each direction. Mm -hmm. So I'm to the right side in the bike lane on the right side of these cars. I see this guy from across the street, jump up like from his porch or stoop, I think is the, is the term. Mm -hmm. And he's literally like jumping into the line, lane of traffic. like There's cars that are there and it's like playing like a in real life frogger, like mm-hmm. dodging cars to get through. So he clearly needs to cross the street. So I kind of like wave him on like, it's cool. Like, yeah, go ahead. Like I'll slow down for you. You can go in front of me. But he stops in between the car on my left that we're heading in the same direction in between mm-hmm. the car and where I would go. So I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, okay. So I keep going. Next thing I know, bam, I get smacked in the face. I hit the ground, like, the whole thing happens, yeah. and then he's gone.
1: There's no reason?
0: No, like, so, at this? the at the time, there was a, a quote-unquote game that people were playing in, like, urban cities called the Knockout Game,
1: With the I point
0: of it, the game yeah. was quite literally, can you knock someone out with one punch? I think that's what it was. Or it could have been that so the, I was the, the young, only Asian in the neighborhood... Yeah, I was a young person, maybe in high school or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. It it could have been that or it could have been that I'm the only Asian in an all-black neighborhood. And (laughs) they just pick on that guy. I don't know. I don't know what it was. But okay, so here's the reason why I tell that story. I mean, it's an interesting story and it's something that happened to me.
2: Yeah. But this
0: is something that really, for me, was one of the most profound moments of understanding the gospel. I'd been going through a funk depression for quite some time in this journey um, for the first several years, man, I was really good about keeping all the rules Mm -hmm. and doing all the things that you need to do, you know, quite literally, you know, spending five, six hours every day, studying the Bible, you know, knocking on doors, preaching, doing all the things that religious people do. But in the years leading up to it, it had been about three years since I had really engaged in any spiritual discipline for any other purpose than work. Like if I had to teach a class, mm-hmm. cool, I'd study the Bible to prepare for it. But in essence, my what I would look at and what I would perceive to be my relationship with God was really weak. And when I say my relationship with God, I mean, I didn't do anything. Hmm. Because like under this framework, it's like, well, how do you have a relationship with someone? You spend time and you talk to them and you listen to them. So literally your relationship with God under this framework is measured by the amount of minutes you spend doing things. And if you spend a good amount of time studying your Bible and praying and witnessing and all the things, then your relationship with God is secure. Miss a day and no one will ever say that it's like wrong or it's a sin, but it's certainly like looked down upon and you're shamed. Yeah. So I'd gone like three years with none of that kind of just running on fumes, trying to like, I don't know. I just, it wasn't something I really was about.
2: Well,
1: you had done it for your job, right? You'd done it so much for your job that you are like, well, I'm covered. Right. Well,
0: that wasn't the frame of mind. It was like, you know, I'm doing things and they're successful up to that point. And so, The fact that they're successful means that God's blessing me means that I'm good.
1: Mm, Okay.
0: But, you know, for this year, things aren't good. And so there's like this whole doubt of my identity at that point. And the reason why they're not good is because I'm not doing the things.
2: Hmm. Okay.
0: So I, so I get jumped, hit the ground, dislocate my arm. And like you know how you have these moments in your life, these rare moments where it's like time slows down, and you have like a whole cohesive conversation with yourself, or this like fully thought out idea in a split second. Mm-hmm. The idea that I had right when I'm like hitting the ground was like, man, I hope they catch this kid.
2: Hmm.
0: But it wasn't for the reason I thought I would have wanted him to be caught. Like, oh, so I can, you know, prosecute him, or I can, you know, get revenge, or any of these things. Like in that split second, the the reason why I wanted him to be caught was so that I could actually have a conversation with him and so that I could forgive him. In my mm. mind, in that moment, it reminded me of the stories of like, oh, and these are way more dramatic, like my situation is nowhere near comparable, but the stories of like, oh, a shooter shows up to a church and offs a whole bunch of people. And at the trial, the church shows up and they tell the the perpetrator, we forgive you. And it's mm. like this beautiful display of, grace, right? It's not an excuse of the murder, but it's right. like the power of what God can do, right? To change a person's heart. Forty, Forty Ten and so, yeah. So, so in that split second, I'm like, I hope they catch this guy so I can talk to him because I know what it's like to feel like you got nothing going on with your life or you need to measure up to your friends and do something stupid to be cool. Or like, like I felt like a kinship to this kid. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to say, Hey, it's cool. Like I forgive you. Mm -hmm. And all that happened in, in a split second. when I would hear the stories of these radical acts of forgiveness, I always felt like that was aspirational. That's something that I wish that I could get to that. I want to be able to do. I know Mm. that in the moment, I'm going to want revenge. If it happens to my, to my wife or my, you know, my friends or whatever, I'm going for blood. But then after mm-hmm. I cool down for a bit, then I'll be able to forgive kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But the way it happened so naturally and organically and so quickly, like really caught me off guard. Wow. And the only way that something like that could happen is if God was truly at work in my life. Wow! But, it, but that idea didn't make sense. How could God be at work in my life if I'm not working on my life? Hmm. And it was one of those moments that like gave me such a clear picture of the goodness of God. There's this, uh, there's a statement in CS Lewis that I really love. It talks about how God doesn't have any pride. He's got no, uh, ego. I think the line is something like God stoops to save like god will make a mockery of himself for the purpose of saving people like this is kind of like i think he's talking about the cross in this moment like jesus was openly shamed for the purpose of saving people wow. and like this is kind of how i apply this idea to this moment of my life it's like i thought that i would reach god and please god with all the things that i was doing and yet in a moment he showed me that even when i wasn't doing any of those things that he was still at work in my life he was stooping He didn't need all the spiritual disciplines. He didn't need the Bible study and the preaching and all that kind of, like none of that mattered. He was at work in my life Hmm. when I didn't deserve it. I think it was one of the first times that I really, I, I really felt like I began to understand the idea of grace as far as like this unmerited thing. Because up to that point in my life, I don't know, like if I'm real, God's grace felt, Like I deserved it. It felt like I was doing the things that I needed to do. Like that there was a standard and I was living up to it for
1: the most part. Chappelle did his, uh, his hosting of Saturday night live after the election Mm -hmm. as he does Mm -hmm. and how he finished his, his uh, intro or his monologue is he said um, he's doing this thing where he just wants people to do random acts of kindness to black people. And he's like, if you're driving through a neighborhood and you see a a, a drug dealer posted up on the corner, uh, who's destroying his community, go up and give him an ice cream cone. He's like, he'll be skeptical, but he'll still (laughs) still eat it. He's like, but anytime you do this, anytime you do a random act of kindness for a black person, you got to make sure that they don't deserve it at all. Mm he's like, because Black people were subjected to horrible da-da-da-da-da, and they didn't deserve it at all. And I've just been thinking about love in this way, kind of what you're saying, just like your, your kid, your, your wife. If they ever have to ask us for forgiveness, I feel like we might have messed up Hmm. because it's almost like they would assume they would have to ask for us to forgive and if we really are loving them if we're really are if we're really loving them they would know they're forgiven so they wouldn't even have to ask and it's it's like it's all about this whole idea of deserving it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We can't, because it, it, in some ways, everything, not in some ways, we were given everything and we didn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. And then this is the way love works. Now you can go to this kid who cold cocked you and forgive him yeah. and he doesn't deserve it. And he's not gonna ask you for it. <laughs> he's not gonna be like my bad. So I remember hearing a podcast maybe a couple months ago.
0: Uh two guys on the internet, there's a podcast and actually you should you should probably listen to it. It's a really good pod. It's probably one of my favorite podcasts. Uh right. it's called No Dumb Questions.
2: Okay. Um
0: fascinating podcast. I won't like sell it, but like you, Richard, should check it out. I think you'd enjoy it. Okay. These right. two guys were talking about like parenting strategies at one point in it. And so this is actually tying to kind of what we're talking about earlier. And one of the things that he teaches his kids to do, not always, but sometimes Uh when there's a fight amongst the kids or whatever, the the standard script is I'm sorry. And then you teach the set kid number two to say, I forgive you. Right. And then you Mm -hmm. hug it out. Right. Mm -hmm. He says every once in a while, he will teach his kid the kid who was offended mm-hmm. first to say i forgive you before the oh, other okay. kid says i'm sorry and it's this exact lesson that you're, you're 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 trotting out it's this idea of like sometimes it's better just to forgive without any apology because like it actually releases you from a thing and it's this beautiful lesson on sometimes apologies don't come So I come home from the ER, I had stitches and I make this video and I, I share this thought, this idea, like, like it's okay. It's good. And on the video, I think I make a joke. I'm something like, Hey, Oh dude. Like, I just want to let you know that if you're out there, you know, doing this, like one, you should probably take some fighting lessons because that punch was whack or something like that. I make a joke. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I, I say like, but on the real, like, I just want you to know, I forgive you. It's cool. I hope that, you know, we can talk sometime and have a conversation. And it's mm. this exact like extending f- forgiveness, even when it wasn't requested. Mm. Because that's what I had realized happened to me in that moment that God had done a number on my heart from the inside out.
1: And mm. I didn't deserve it. I didn't ask for it in that moment. Wow. So take me from there, where, wh- where does, what direction are you headed after that? You were, you were in on the East coast for a while or what ended up changing?
0: Yeah. So I'll, I'll i guess kind of fast forward through this section, but like
1: I had a had a
0: student at the school who became a Christian who became a seventh Adventist because of a YouTube video. And I was like, Holy smokes, that's wild. Cause I'm watching all the Casey Neistat stuff. And I'm like, getting real real like excited about just consuming youtube content which i had i had done at the you know previously but it was always like viral videos or jokes or pranks or music videos or whatever
1: it YouTube wasn't was changing like, at this point youtube was changing right yeah it, it was
0: youtube was changing to where now you could have a pseudo relationship with people like there was like uh an interpersonality aspect to the consumer and the creator. Whereas before it was just like a place to host things, Mm -hmm. but now there was this real emphasis towards like vlogging and, you know, building a community. And it was really like, it was like, for me, I woke up every morning at like five in the morning, just like watching the next drop of the next episode or whatever. And I started to realize like, man, like my life is really being, discipled it to use like Christian language by Casey Neistat. Like I'm starting to reflect like the hustle attitude and like I'm buying a freaking boosted board and I got the, I got the, the bendy tripod for my camera and I'm doing like all the, I'm copying him and I'm like, I'm realizing like I'm in the church or the cult of Casey Neistat right now. And then I have this student who comes through and he became an, a Christian because of, of YouTube and I start to put the two together. I was like, dude, how many people are out there on the internet using YouTube for ministry? And like there was nobody, like there were almost nobody at the time. Mm -hmm. Quite literally, like maybe half a dozen people that I could, I could find when I was actively looking for Christian YouTubers or Christian vloggers, or whatever the case is. And so I'm like, all right, shoot, like I'm going to go for it. Like let's, let's try this. And I create a YouTube channel because to me, it makes sense. I'm, I'm putting in all these hours to prepare for a class of 11 students. Like, what do I got to lose? Put it out the internet and reach five? Like I, you know, I just, you know, bumped my class by a huge percentage you know if i reach 20 people 100 people like who knows what could happen so i made i started doing youtube things and long story short like we ended up quitting my job and really feeling led by god like this is the next phase like this is what he was actually calling me to do like not as a hobby Mm -hmm. or just something fun but like no like go all in on this thing so quit the job end up moving back to the west coast um and go to the northwest because That's where Emily wanted to be. Her family is in this area.
1: Mm -hmm. So what kind of content were you just looking for? You just felt like impressed, like this is the content. This is what I need to to be talking about. What created your brain? Yeah. So I thought back to that
0: moment in high school where, you know, we're doing these Bible studies with this young guy. He seems to have a bunch of answers. And a part of me really wanted to do that. Um, Hmm. partially because it really made a difference in my life. Like having someone who could help in a roundabout way, show that the Bible was like meaningful and relevant to my life. Like that was deeply impactful at that time. And also it feels kind of good to be the know-it-all, you know, like the (laughs) kind of person that people like you have insight. Like, let me ask you a question and people value your opinion and your take on things. Hmm. So that's the kind of content I decided to create. I just started to think of like all the questions that I had when I was in high school. What were the questions that I was asking, and make those types of videos? What does the Bible say about fill in the blank? How do I do this? Should Christians do that? Like it's very prescriptive and like me telling you how to live your life according to my Christian worldview. And so I would make videos like that. And for what it's worth, they did well. You know, like it was apparently it was a thing that not only I was looking for, but a lot of young people at that time and maybe
1: even still now I don't know were looking for. You got an education while you were researching the topic of your videos did you just did you feel like you were learning a ton about the subjects that you were trying to cover or did you feel like you had all this already? A little bit of both. I think, you know, I put in a lot of legwork
0: earlier on in like really spending you know what's the what's that book? Was like is it a ten thousand hours or whatever? Like I felt like I had put my ten thousand hours in in studying the Bible. I would you know of course refresh, you know here and outliers. there. But uh, outliers, yeah, Malcolm Malcolm uh, Gladwell. Gladwell. Yeah. So I felt like I knew stuff, and that the stuff that I knew would be helpful to people. And so I kind of created that stuff, and like it was it was cool. It was
1: growing. It was working and. How, was this 2018 or when was this?
0: No, this was a uh, 2000. It was that for, that year of depression. Actually, I started doing it while I was depressed. One of the things so the counselor was two, like, "Do things that you love." Hmm. And for me at the time, it was two things that I invested my time in. One uh, was the YouTube thing. It was like, oh, this is like a new hobby, something that's actually mentally stimulating. It's a little bit more hard than the job that I was doing, so it like kept me mentally engaged and the other thing was i started playing video games again i'd sworn off video games for like 10 years because of the whole like hyper conservative christian thing like feeling like it was evil to do these things and my counselor's like no like just do things that you love i'm like for real she's like yeah do things (laughs) that make you happy i'm like bet like all right cool so i started playing video games and connect with my brother across the country and it was so that's kind of how i spent my time
1: it's kind of like your counselor gave you permission to be happy again. Yeah, actually. Yes. (laughs) Like, yeah, it's fine to be happy. Really? Are you sure? Yeah. Right. So where to, where has, uh, talk to me about the journey from then you, you started that was your, was your first, named the my christian vlogger or did what did that come later <laughs> cuz that's all that like i picked that, up when you were leaving my christian vlogger the first time i looked you up on youtube you had a video saying you weren't my christian vlogger anymore and i'm like yeah. oh I'm, I'm the wrong guy here that christian vlogger but yes
0: uh early on no, the, the very beginning of it was was that christian vlogger the idea of it was like hey have you heard of that one youtuber oh what's his channel oh you know that that christian vlogger like it was kind of like it was meant to be used as a reference point. And for SEO, it, it actually worked out pretty
1: good. Yeah. So yeah, what was People knew what that? they
0: were getting into right away when they saw the name, yeah. for good or for bad. Um. So yeah, from Yay. the very beginning. That's that's the kind of content I created. And at some point it got really boring. <laughs> like it was just like I made a hundred videos on Christian dating advice or whatever the case is. And unfortunately, and this is just the way the internet works, like what you're excited about isn't always what performs the best. Um, hmm. So I had a video that went like viral at one point and it was like, should, kiss in, should Christians kiss before marriage? And that's not a thing that I really care to talk about or even have strong opinions about. Um, but it was like a viewer submitted question. So I'm like, okay, cool. This is an easy idea. I won't have to think about this one. I'll just respond to your question. And it mm-hmm. blew up. And so like I chased this whole thing of like responding to people's questions all the time. But it it meant more and more that I stopped talking about things that I cared about. Huh. And I kind of got caught chasing the hype train, like, oh, everyone wants to know about dating. Like, yeah. Like, I could care less about how you do your dating life. It's not a big deal to me. But I think quite literally I've probably made like a hundred videos on the subject
1: and it was just, I was getting tired, man. It was boring. So you're going on to this, this journey and, uh, how did, um, when did you decide, okay, I'm done with that Christian vlogger and I'm moving into something else or. So,
2: uh,
0: like maybe the second summer that we had moved to the Northwest, we had camp meeting
2: uh-huh.
0: and camp meeting speaker that summer
1: was a dude by the name of Jonathan Leonardo. He keeps coming up in my podcast. One of these days I'm going to have to get him on here.
0: <laughs> I'll I'll introduce you. Maybe, uh maybe you'll get to meet him one of these days. <laughs> one of these days. <laughs> this guy's up on the stage and he's preaching some foolishness, but like I'm low key, like, whoa like what is this mess he's saying some crazy stuff like i'm free from sin like god freed me from sin like what it felt too good to be true it Uh felt blasphemous and yet i'm like with my bible open in front of me reading the exact words (laughs) and i'm just like what the heck why have I never heard of this before like in all of my 10,000 you're wrong (laughs) it's
2: it's right here
0: (laughs) but it's right there yeah exactly I'm like in my 10,000 hours of studying the Bible how was this not a thing that I paid attention to like why did it never jump off the page I'd spent time studying Romans you know I, I think at one point one of the classes I took I had to write like a verse by verse commentary on parts of Romans and I remember like working through some of the but it it never stood out to me. I don't know why at the time. Do you know why just. Do I know why it didn't stand out at the time? Yeah. Uh, It just probably wasn't the time. I don't know. I don't spend a lot of time worrying about it.
1: Well, like you said, it's been there. It'll be there tomorrow. It was there yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I have found that it's because we don't believe what it says, that it doesn't step out. Probably yeah, because we say oh those are cool words. What does it mean? As though yeah, it doesn't peop-
0: mean what it said.
1: Yeah, because we we take things about Paul, and I say mm-hmm. we. I don't know who the we is. Some somewhere there's a building that says we on it, and it's those people. And they it's we <laughs> it's we no. If we take things about Paul and we're like Paul's too hard to understand, and I've mentioned this before. I was listening to this sermon. And this guy's going in on Romans 5, the end of Romans 5. And he's like, this is much too difficult for you guys to understand. He's saying this to the congregation. So I'm not even going to go into this. It's too hard to understand. So we're just going to go from the first part of Romans 5. who's was talking about, you know, how uh, trials and endurance and all of this. And then the second part of Romans 5 is the first Adam and the second Adam. We're going to skip that. We're going to go to Romans 6. And I think a lot of people believe that. And so they don't take it at face value. And so they're sitting in a camp meeting in Oregon saying, what are you talking about? While the book has been saying it for a long time, right? Right. For sure. Yeah, we don't believe it. So you're sitting there. He's preaching some, he's on some crazy stuff. Whoever invited this person needs to be fired. What what was going on?
0: No, I, I didn't feel that way. Cause it's, it literally says that. So like, I'm not going right. to argue with what the text says. I have a very high commitment to try and live as best as I know how, according to the text. And it literally says like, you are free from sin. Like this is the exact language. I'm just like, this is bizarre. I remember really feeling, um, like drawn in by this presentation. Like, wow, this is powerful. Um, I want this. I want, it's not even, I want this. It was, I want this to be true. Hmm. That, that was the primary kind of emotion of that week. It was like, this legit feels too good to be true, but it's plain as day on the page. Like it's right there.
1: I think everybody wants that experience. They want it to be true. True. But at the same time they realize if it's true, then they are wrong.
0: Yes. And that and was that was clear that a, I was confronted with yeah. that. Yeah. I'm thinking, like, I'm freaking, you know, 10 years into this thing, I'm like, like the story that kept coming up in my mind as like I'm sitting in the audience is the story of Nicodemus.
2: Hmm. Where Jesus
0: is like, dude, you're a teacher of Israel. Like, how do you not know this? <laughs> I'm just like, I'm literally a teacher. Like I'm literally like I was teaching at a Bible school. I'm literally on the internet playing this role. Like I know stuff and I'm trying to guide you and teach you. And I have not really figured out how to make sense of any of this.
1: So did you have to, what is it? Hypocrisy is acting. Did you have to act like you knew all of it? Or were you honest out front and say, nah, I didn't know this. Or I didn't get this. I, I knew to it. my,
0: yeah, I knew to myself. I don't know how to wrestle with this. Like, I don't know how to fit this into my existing theology, and yet I know it's right there. Like, it, it's clear that it, what he's saying is at least being repeated from the like. Jonathan doesn't do this in his presentations anymore. I don't know why. He's actually never done it in all the pre, all the LRTs that I've been a part of. Mm-hmm. I've been a part of. I don't know half a dozen at least Mm -hmm. Um, that week he kept coming back to this catchphrase. I read it in the book. What he kept saying, like he, Mm -hmm. he, he had this really defensive posture and maybe because he was just a defensive person at that time. I don't know why, but Mm -hmm. the presentation was kind of couched in this defensive posture. Like he knew people weren't following what he was saying. and in anticipation of the objection, he would say, how do I know? Cause I read it in the book. And I'm like, yeah, he did read it in the book. It's right here in the book in front of me. I'm like, so like what, like, how do I deal with all this? And so something that happened, I remember just feeling like, man, I wish that I could really spend more time figuring this out, but I don't know what to do with this. Um, I got to like meet Jonathan for the first time after the week there and he actually recognized me. He like saw me and there was like recognition on his face. Is like, hey, like you're that, you're the guy from the, you're that Christian vlogger. Like it totally played out like exactly the way that my marketing mind was like, this is how it's going to work. Like <laughs> it happened. I'm like, oh shoot. So of yeah. course, like, I'm not going to like play this role. Like, hey, hey, Jonathan, can I ask you a couple questions like this? Cause that's what it would have t- taken at the time to try and yeah. sort things out. It's like, hey, I got a few questions. But because he's recognizing me as like this person, I'm like, oh, 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 yeah, man. Yeah. Hey, by the way, I appreciated your message, man. That was really good stuff. You know, it's kind of this like I got to pretend now because like, I'm a slave to this persona that I crafted on the Internet. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh,
1: mercy.
0: Pride, man. Yeah, man. I wanted to know, but I, 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 didn't, I didn't have the security to just say like, hey, can you explain this to me?
1: And you're just like, yeah, man, cool. And you can't really, I uh, can't, <laughs> can't really just... ask him the question I want to ask him. What was the question that you wanted to ask him?
0: I don't know that I, I had a specific question. I just wanted to be in the space and to be able to hear more about what he's talking about. Cause it's, it's kind of the first time I'd ever heard someone like on a stage be like, yo, I'm free from sin or what's your relationship mm-hmm. to sin? Like that, like that bold kind of approach to it. I've certainly heard sermons about like, what is sin? And, you know, like why is the law important and what did Jesus do? I guess, you know, it's just, but like the idea of freedom from it was not something that I had really heard talked about. So, you know, we, I don't know, I think we just exchanged phone numbers or whatever. And I didn't see him for like a long time. I don't know, maybe like another six, six months plus or something along those lines. And, and one day I get a text message like, yo, is Jonathan. I don't know if you remember me, dude from camp meeting or something like that. I'm swinging through town, figured, you know, maybe you want to grab a coffee or something like that. And I'm like, oh, snap. Like, this is perfect. Like, this is exactly the kind of the setting that I wanted to be able to chat with Jonathan about that. And like. Had you still been thinking about it? I had thought about it, but it wasn't like all encompassing. It was like, wow, that's super interesting. And then like life happens and like you like are sure. worried about all the other stuff, you know? So we get back yeah. and somehow I, f- I forget exactly what happened, but a whole lot of stuff happened. And like the conversation was probably just like, Oh yeah, we'll hang out for a half hour, hour, whatever, you know, no biggie. I think we like h- spent the entire day together. It was like, I think we actually chatted for like six, seven, eight hours. It just like took the entire <laughs> day. It was like, Whoa, this is, intense. And I got to like, share my story. Um, I got to share my testimony. I got to share some of the stories I shared with you, like the getting jumped thing and like mm-hmm. the whole, like going through depression thing and like the whole, it was actually funny because um, as I'm talking about my reflections and like, I think he was one of the first people that I ever told like, yeah, you know, I hadn't really been at the time studying my Bible or any of that kind of stuff, you know? And like, I had this profound moment. Mm-hmm jonathan i think he actually used the phrase like oh yeah like like god stooped to reach you or something like he used hmm. that language that was a reference to that quote that i was talking about i was like what hmm. this is wild so something happened from all that i think uh I, by the end of the day we had come to an agreement or i like I was like, dude, I want to be able to support what you're doing. Like, I believe in what you're doing. Like, I think it's dope. Like, I got the skill set of doing things on the internet. I'd love to apply it to what you're doing. And hmm. somehow he said yes. Um, and it was, I mean, it was awesome. And so basically, uh, I ended up kind of shadowing him to a handful of LRTs under the guise Hmm. of like, oh, I'll document them. I'll record them. I'll help you make a bunch of YouTube videos. uh, And hopefully this is a way for you to grow your audience at the time. Actually, it was kind of interesting because he had done his like last series of LRTs, and his plan was to go back to seminary. And Hmm. I don't know how much of this conversation played a role into it. I know it played a role, but the idea was like, no dude, like you shouldn't do that. Like you should like really give it a go. Like, see what happens and like i cast this vision of like it could do things like it could reach people through the internet and all this kind of stuff and he's like all right yeah like let's go and this was when there were very few things kind of on the calendar at that point right so yeah ended up in hawaii and got to see another lrt preach in its entirety filmed all that and we try to make videos but it was rough man like i was like dude and i guess just the the, the skill set of talking on a youtube video is very different than the skill set of preaching um because we try to shoot some mm. videos and it was
1: rough like it was not working Like just <laughs> him on camera was was rough or yeah what was the... <laughs> i got those <laughs> like, levels somewhere i don't but... know what to do with my hands um exactly everybody on the... yeah yeah
0: like eventually so then, we just decided.
1: How, sorry, go ahead. I was just to say, how was that? Was this gospel hitting at that oh, point? Yeah. 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 Were you just like buying into like little things here and there, or were you just like, Oh so, yeah, this is what I believe now. So it was,
0: it was weird because like I, I'm here on this Island and I have like this kind of persona. Like I, I do, like I'm a professional. I'm a teacher. I do these things. And I remember we were like hanging out with the, the interns of the ministry. Um, you know, after one of the evenings, I think it was after like Secret Place was talked about. And like Jonathan's like answering the question, and like partway through the question, he's like, "Yo, Justin, like, like, want to jump in on this?" And at the time, like, I had not really made sense of what he meant by Secret Place. The best I had come up mm-hmm. with is like, "Oh, like." the question that the kid is asking is like, well, how do I have meaningful devotionals and where do I do this? And so I'm like actually answering the question as I misunderstand it as like, uh, like, well, where should I study the Bible? Or like, what's the best method on doing it, which was all like, kind of like quote unquote in my wheelhouse at that time. And I'm talking about like my approach to it. And it's just like clear as day that I'm missing the question, but mm. I'm like posturing as though like I'm answering the question.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And uh, yeah, so I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm like still kind of pretending, right? Uh-huh. So one night after one of the presentations, we end up at this diner because he would drive me to the, the place where I was crashing for the night. And we ended up at this diner. I don't even know the name of the diner. We we're just eating food. We make it back to the, to, the, to the car. And I forget how we get to this conversation, but it was some version of me asking like, so it sounds like it's just as simple as like, I believe it. And then it's like mine, but that like just sounds too, too simple. Like, am I missing something? He's like, no, nah, like you got it. Like, it's literally, you got to believe, you know, like it was, it was kind of one of those dumb moments. Like, how do I, mm-hmm. how do I actually experience freedom? Do I just got to ask God and then believe it happens. And he's like, yeah, that's how it happens. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So uh, we pray in the car, he lays hands on and we pray this prayer of faith, like Holy Spirit fall and all this kind of stuff. And I had a a picture of what I was expecting, like something powerful would happen because in his testimony, I don't know that he he goes to detail like this now, because maybe it's not helpful or maybe he just chooses not to use these details. But he talks about like when Holy Spirit first fell on him as like this kind of really Mm powerful and like i don't know even like borderline charismatic experience right where like there's these emotions and feelings and it's like all this stuff so we pray this prayer of faith and then like amen and i kind of like look up to him and i think i literally said the words like is that it (laughs) because nothing happened and he's just like right yeah i guess that's it all right and we just like go on as if like nothing happened like that was the end of the conversation and like we just kept going that's where like for me i developed this language of like that's the night that nothing changed but everything changed i think i've actually even talked when did you when did i realize that was the night yeah i I didn't realize that was a night until much later looking back on it, that was the night that everything changed and nothing changed. Nothing changed in the sense that like, I didn't have this profound emotion. I didn't have this sensory experience. Like I didn't all of a sudden, like Jonathan talks about this moment. Like I knew I was loved by God without a shadow of a doubt. Like I didn't have any of that. Like, I didn't have anything like that. And yet when I look back, it's like, that was the moment where faith took root. I, I prayed the prayer. I invited God in. I believed that he had done it. And even if I didn't see the evidence of what he had promised, I believed that it was there and I believed it was mine.
1: Yeah, I think there's different stories and experiences on how we come to this thing. And my st- I think our stories are similar in that there wasn't very much emotion in it. Mm-hmm.
0: I think you and I had a conversation where, about this actually at one point, our first conversation together.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You, you, because I think you yeah. were still like testing out the whole freedom thing and you're like, how do I know? And I was like, bro, do you know how you're, fr- how you know that you're free? And like, I think you were trying to come up like, with an answer. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> do you remember that yeah. moment? I remember, well, anyway. oh, that was in a hotel, man. <laughs> I was on. The yeah, road. you
1: were with the homeboy, and I was surprised that because I, I had, I had been watching the move, and I had been tracking with it, and then there was episodes where I'm like, I don't know what they're saying, and this was after my wife and everything had uh, everything had changed for us. And we started chatting on Instagram and then you videoed me and I had had a conversation with somebody and God had given me something about their life in that conversation. And you said, Rich, do you know how, you know, you have the Holy spirit. Mm. That's what the question was. And yeah, it's was like, Oh, how, and I was trying to think and you saw me thinking, how do I know But And you said, well, the Bible says it. And there's a few conversations I've had in my life that, kind of just stick out for like a moment in time in the conversation. One of these conversations is something that Eddie said to me on on a drive, and we were taking that, and then that, that is something that has stuck out um, for just the gospel. Mm. How do you know if this is true? Well, the Bible says it. hmm now, at some point, you have to believe that the Bible is true mm-hmm. for this, for all of this to work out, but if you already believe that the Bible is true, then when it says you have the Holy Spirit done you where where are you going to disagree? Yeah, when it says you're sanctified, where are you going to disagree? Mm-hmm. when it says you're holy, blameless, and above reproach, where are you going to disagree? And if you don't divide the Bible correctly it will say that you're wholly blameless and re- above reproach. And then will also say that you're a sinner. Mm-hmm. But if you understand what he's saying, if you understand how to divide, oh, this is this, oh, this is this, if, because it's not going to contradict itself. Yes, but, but that, that was my biggest like hang up, is that like, I knew Romans
0: six in my mind, like you have like these categories of chapters of the Bible as, oh, like Matthew 24. Oh, that's the chapter about the end of time. Right. Uh, Revelation 14. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's the three angels' message. You know, like you have these categories of like, oh, Mm -hmm. this is kind of what's happening along the breakdown. Romans six, in my mind, was the bad news chapter because Romans six is where you go Mm -hmm. to say, Hey, for like the wages of sin is death. And like in this kind of like, as I was at the time preaching the quote unquote gospel to people, it was a chapter that I used in like a weaponized function to say, Without Jesus you're screwed, dude. Like you got to repent. You got to turn your life around. You got to like get your life together. You got to work on your relationship with God because if you don't, what you deserve is death. Like that's that's how I thought Learn. of Romans 6. It was the bad news chapter, but thank God Romans 7 comes along and even if I screw up and I don't do the thing that I want to do and I want to do the thing that I don't like Thank God that God is there, like and He's gracious. Like this was, Romans six was bad news. Romans seven was good news in my mind at the time.
1: That is wild. It, it's so wild because, because it's the exact opposite now. Roman, <laughs> Romans, Romans, yeah. Romans five, crazy, great news. Romans six crazy great news romans 7 let's understand what it's saying and if we understand what romans 7 is saying you're gonna love romans 8 but that's so wild that in yeah i guess that's how it's preached yeah i mean that's how how i preached it for
0: years so like this was the challenge of like how do i make sense of this declaration of freedom in jesus and like this is why i wanted to have these conversations with jonathan it was because like i see it on the paper it says these words, but I want to make sure I'm not misunderstanding it and misinterpreting these words. It, it was clear as day that the words were there, but what did those words mean? And was there something along the thought process that canceled it out or lent it to mean that it didn't mean what it meant?
1: So when did it mean what it meant?
0: So this is where
1: the that idea... night in the car? No, 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 no. So, like, I mean, that that's when I
0: reached out in faith for it with zero understanding. But uh-huh. I was still caught up with, like, the way to figure this out, the way to receive freedom was to understand it. Like, very uh, Greek in your thinking. Like, uh-huh. it's like, oh, you got to understand the stuff. Like, the truth, understanding the truth is kind of how I would interpret that. If you understand the right ideas, if you believe the right things, then you'll be free. Like This is actually the kind of conversations you and I were having. It's like, but but what about this? And we would have... Mm -hmm. I know that especially you, me, and Tyler were real like, we wanted to know the theology of a thing because we thought that that's what would set people free. And what we've come to realize is like, Hmm. theology actually doesn't do that. Like for very few people do they actually care about the theology. Very few. Like if you think about all the stories of people who have been set free, like... Very few have to go verse by verse by verse, but that's what I needed. So I had this brilliant idea. I pitched to Jonathan, hey, here's what people need. People who are out there who don't understand, like they hear what you're saying and they want it and they they, they think it's good. What they need is they need a verse by verse study of the book of Romans. Hmm. And so I pitched a podcast where I would quote unquote play the devil's advocate And be able to get Jonathan Mm -hmm. with very little effort, like or forethought at least, to teach through Romans as I played the role of a seeker on the show. Uh You see how I'm like couching it so, like, I'm still like protecting my reputation. So it's not till like 30 episodes in, because I think the season's like 60 episodes, 30 episodes in or so. Like, if you watch back on the move, you'll see like there's a moment Uh in our dialogue where things click for me. And like, it's no longer me just parroting things that I think I'm supposed to be saying, but like, it actually takes root. And I'm like, Uh like, it's coming out of my mouth. And I'm, and like, you just kind of see Jonathan kind of like smirking, just like, yeah, keep going, keep going. (laughs) And it was so fun to like have that moment in the middle of the season because it still meant I didn't have all the answers. It still meant that I didn't understand all the chapters and verses, but it meant that I actually understood that it was literally Mm -hmm. simply believing. And even if I didn't understand all the theology at that moment, it could be mine through faith.
1: It's kind of like you were reading it through some whack Mm -hmm. glasses and halfway through the season, somebody gave you your actual prescription and you look through it, and now you're reading it through the right lens. And like I'm thinking about this guy who was walking you through these Bible studies and answering all these questions and how he could open up Mm -hmm. the Bible. And people ask me questions all the time. I'm sure they ask you questions all the time. I don't get nervous about questions because I know that my lens Hmm. is correct because it's a lens of belief. It's a lens of faith that just will live by faith. And so I'm not nervous about not even having the right answer. I, I'm just like, I know I have the right hmm. lens. And the trick with understanding the word is you have to go, if you're going to understand it, and this is my opinion, you have to start with God's love God and everything that you look through the 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 words of the book have to be through that lens Mm -hmm. so the bad news has to be looked at it through that lens the good news has to be looked at it through that lens all of the crazy stuff that happened early and all the weird stuff has to be looked at through that lens. And I'm not, if I don't know the answer, I'm just like, well, God is love and he loves me and I'm his kid. So Hmm. how does this make sense? And I'm not nervous and I'm not scared. And one thing that you said to me in that conversation was like, Richard, and I know you hit on this a lot. You actually don't even need me to teach you this. And I was like, but I do need you to teach me, Justin. Uh, and you brought up that verse, and you can, I don't know where it is off top, but you, what is it? It's in uh, James chapter two. Yeah, you don't need a teacher. That, you don't need a teacher. Yeah.
0: I don't know where it's at.
1: And I thought it was, was like First John or something, maybe. Two. Maybe but it's in James. Hit me I don't with know. That.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's in it's one in of those. I've looked it up enough times to know that it's still there, but. <laughs>
1: And that yeah, blew me away. Because like, it's like, dude, you got the anointing, like,
0: so you don't need anyone to teach you. I think that's what's so cool about this thing is that when you do seize it by faith, and you really do have this confidence that God is with you and that He actually speaks to you, like life becomes a lot more simple you don't need the answers mm. anymore. And I I think I'm think i, I, think I I'm hearing what you're saying when, it's, when you're talking about like, I'm not afraid when people ask me questions. I actually still am like, oh, like if someone's gonna ask me a theology question, because I still have like this, these neural pathways that I've developed for years of like, I need to be the answer guy. So I still feel that a little bit, but like, I think I hear what you're saying is that you don't have like this anxiety anymore of not having all of your life figured out. Because in like, in my life now, like I actually don't have plans. Like people are like, oh, where do you see yourself in five years? Like, I don't know. I don't even mm-hmm. know where I see myself in five days from now. Like legit. Like, I I don't have a plan Mercy. for my life anymore. And I'm not stressed at all about that. And it's really cool to operate
1: that is stressful to the people oh, yeah, who have that.
0: <laughs> like in a very real sense, I don't still. know what I'm doing, like maybe next week. And it's, and it's, I've kind of just oh, like man, resigned to myself to not need to know. You know, what's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? Where do you see yourself? Like, I have no clue, guys. Like, I just, I really don't. Like, I try to live my life uh, with my ear to the ground, so to speak. Like, hey, God, if you want me to do anything, if you want me to, to zig, I'll zig. You want me to zag, I'm going to zag. Like, when I was teaching at the school, I really felt like God called me to, to do the YouTube thing, right? Boom. 30 days later, we were moving across country. Like as soon as I got the green light from God, like mm. we were gone, but it was also like, Hey, if you want me to be here for 30 years, I'll be here. And it's this resignation that like, it's not even about, it's not even about me anymore.
1: Mm. I
0: just, I just live my life to, to serve. Like it's just, it's through faith. It's just like, okay, whatever you need, whatever you want me to do, God, like, cool. Like I'm down for the journey. You tell me, you tell me tomorrow, delete all the social media stuff that you've been working on for years. Like go be a missionary in some third world country. Cool. Like, let's do it. You tell me to go sign up to be a janitor at the local high school. Like, all right, like, let's go.
1: That's an uncomfortable way for people. It's uncomfortable for people because I, they can't do it, and so if they see you doing it, then it says more about them. And they're you're a mirror, and they're looking at. Mm-hmm. And they don't like what they're seeing back. Um, but the truth is, we the, all. The irony want that. is that it's the most
0: comfortable thing we all want ever. That. Because, like, you know, when you're yeah. trying to orchestrate your own life, there's so much pressure. Because, because, what happens if, like, what happens if your plans fail? Like, that's one major fear. But here's another fear: What happens if your plans succeed, and it turned out that you had the wrong plan all to begin with? Like, that's a very, very real world. And so, to be able to give up all of that pseudo control and just to truly be like all right god i'll go wherever wherever you want me to go like it's so freeing it makes life so simple
1: and it's dan muller says it like this there is something you have to give up if you're going to live like this and he says it, it's the thing that you never mm-hmm. were meant to live with um if you're going to live like that then you're going to have to give up some stuff and it's all garbage stuff that you're going to have to give up. So you're not, in essence, you're not giving up anything that's good. You're only giving up the trash way of thinking that you were enslaved by or the whatever the comforts of having a lot of friends on social media or having a, a comfortable little life um, but this thing is not about it's not about being comfortable and yet it's the most comfortable thing ever being able to say, yeah, we'll go we'll go do whatever you want doesn't sound comfortable, but when you really live like that, it's freedom. Yeah.
0: I mean if you can become comfortable being uncomfortable, then you'll never be uncomfortable,
2: yeah, Again? and it's super
0: cool, like I mean, yeah <laughs> God's just led us through some really wild journeys. And it's just been really, it's been, it's been fun to see like how God truly does come through. I remember when, I remember when COVID, uh, just like became a thing, right? I had like a whole year worth of travel and plans and all the stuff that I was working on. And, you know, it's different being an entrepreneur than it is like working for someone. Not to say that losing your job when you're working mm. for someone is fun at all, but, you know, when your own plans blow up in your face, I don't know. There's an added layer of, like, complexity to that. You can't blame anybody, I guess. Sure. So COVID happens. It's actually funny because like, I think it was, like, two days. If if uh, the announcement of, like, the shutdown happened, like, two days later, I would have been in Nepal. Like, literally in the in Nepal, like, on some random mountain for, like, a project that I was going to shoot for. And then I find out, like, wow. the night before or two nights before that all the airlines in and out of America, are like, are shut down. Like, nope. Hard pass. Like, I think I had my bags, like, halfway packed already kind of a thing. And in, like, a period of, like, wow. 24 hours, I lost, like, six to eight months worth of work. Poof. Gone. Didn't know what I was going to do with it, and it's like, there's no one who replaces that income. Like, there's no one to like rely on. There's no I. I don't know. I don't even know how it would work. Would I be able to qualify for like unemployment at that point or something? If technically like self-employed, I don't know how all that works. Mm -hmm. But the cool part was, it was just like, all right, cool. Like God, like you got it. You'll figure something else out, and like less than 24 hours later, a different thing came across my table, a better thing that replaced all of that income that was lost. And also provided an opportunity for me to hire someone for this project to replace like $20,000 of income that they had lost because of COVID. And it was just like this beautiful instance like this insight, It's like God's, Gonna take care of it. And it was cool because like it's one thing to to not be stressed out once the income's replaced. Cause like, oh God, thank you. But it's also like, what if you just actually never had to get stressed out to begin with? And in that microcosm, that's exactly what I experienced. Not to say I never have stress or whatever, but like in that moment, it was just kind of like, all right, well, things didn't happen the way I thought that they would. But God, I know you're in control and I know that you're good and I know that you got a plan for me and you know, it's kind of like the whole Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like, Hey, our God's able to provide, but even if he doesn't, like I'm not bowing down, like I'm going to just have faith in him. It was kind of one of those moments. And so to like live life with that confidence that the details might not always work out the way that I want them to work out, but I can still have peace in the middle of it all. I can have peace that passes understanding.
1: On the election night, I'm uh mm-hmm. I'm at work. I work at an no. Amazon warehouse. So you're you're at the night. one that's kicking my Amazon and... boxes. <laughs> that's me. And I look at my phone, and it, it's the part of the night where. Donald Trump becomes a huge betting favorite mm. to win the election. And I look at my my uh, my portfolio for my stock, my stocks that I have. And when the news that Donald Trump became the betting favorite, the stock started skyrocketing. And I'm just like, oh, shoot, this is good <laughs> news. The next morning... The next morning I have, I've made a significant amount of money and the news that Biden is probably going to win starts coming in. So I look at my stock and I have this one stock and I'm like, I better sell (laughs) this mug now because it's just going to go down when it finds out, like when the stock finds out that Biden's going to win. So I sold a significant Mm -hmm. amount of it off. And the stock kept going up and up. It seemed like right after I sold it, (laughs) it was heading down like the Biden news. And then it was like, oh, Richard sold off a large position of his, you know, he sold it off in his position. And it just was like, oh, just kidding. I'm going to keep going up. And like an hour into... That, it, this is not a way to live life, by the way, looking at your portfolio and seeing like, oh, it's still going up. <laughs> and after you sold off a huge percentage of it, and it's just skyrocketing even more. And as it turns out, the stock market did not care who won or lost. I did not know this. <laughs> and I was like banking. On it. And so it's going up, up, up. And I'm, I'm, I'm livid. I'm like, Richard, what a dummy you are how stupid I could have made X amount of dollars more in that day. It would have been my, my largest day. And all day long, I I go to sleep because it's in the middle of the day. I got to sleep because I'm going to work that night. And that night I'm sitting there at Amazon again. It's Wednesday night elections over. And God's like, stop being the CEO. of Richard Young. Incorporated. Like, all day long you've been mad because you mismanaged the company of Richard Young and family. And you should probably just Mm. be my son. And I'm sitting there making boxes or packing or doing whatever I'm doing at Amazon. And I was like, oh, I need to stop having Mm. all of the answers because I don't. And when I do it'll go like I was a genius if that stock would have went down after Biden. I would have been the smartest guy on the block, right? And it turns out <laughs> I was an idiot. And now as I'm looking at it again, and, and the, the stock market's crazy, it went, went, went. And then after I started living in sunship. and this is not to say it went all the way, it crashed all the way back down, um, back to lower than I had even bought it and I was able to buy in. And, but my the point is, We got to start living like sons. And that's why this identity thing is so important. If Justin Koo has to have the plans for Justin Koo, and this is why we talk about this stuff, because we got to remind ourselves sometimes. Like you reminded me, Richard, you have peace, love, joy, patience, faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Why do you have it? Well, Mm -hmm. the Bible says so. Oh, oh justin you are a son you don't have to be the ceo of justin Koo incorporated like you just get to be your daddy's son forever oh because or else we'll start taking the identity of our ministry or we'll start taking the identity of our what whatever what have you like talking about bible verses
0: that are really stupid plain but can't mean what they clearly mean like is jesus take no thought for tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> like don't even stress out about what you're going to eat
1: hmm. or what you're going
0: to wear he's like because your father knows you need these things and he's got you he's like the flowers don't even worry about these things. The bird, like he sees all the need. He knows it. You count the hair on your head. Why are you stressed out? Well, we're stressed out because we put so much trust and faith in these things. For me, it was performance. It was this idea that like, I will be good enough. I will prove that I'm good enough. And that's why I stressed out about it. Like, and again, like, it makes a lot of sense that when you're performing well, it feels good. It's a great paradigm to live by while it's working. But you're only ever Mercy. as good as that thing that you put trust in, when it's you know? Working. And at some point, the stock market crashes. Well, then what do you got then? Like, what are, you, what, are you, what are you left with? Mercy. Like, what would it look like to truly live life like a child unless you become like a child? What would it be like to have that childlike faith and that just trust that God is, when he says something, he means it.
2: It's it better, is better,
0: bro. man. It's been a lot of fun. This <laughs> last couple of years have been great.
1: So before I let you go, and right after we're saying, we don't have to worry about tomorrow, uh, just tell people if they haven't come across your uh, mm-hmm. your channel, what you're doing over there, and why or how it would uh, interest some people. Yeah. Why? Why should you? yeah talk about that and then we wrap so, this
0: up. A large part of my journey was keeping people like at arm's length with a kind of fear that by associating myself with them that I end up backsliding or something along those lines, that if I associate with them that I'm perceived differently because of the company that I keep and all these things. And I think a large part of it comes because of the insecurity that I lived with and the kind of imposter syndrome that I lived under. And this sense that in order to please God, I had to do the right things. So what does it mean when people aren't doing the right things? And I see that. Um, I think for a certain type of religious person who comes to my channel, my YouTube channel, it's going to be really triggering because I Hmm. sit across the table from people. Kind of one of the premises of the show is something like, like, people who I disagree with, I guess, I guess the, t- the tagline that I work with the show right now is explicit conversation on belief in the stories that shape them. Um, hmm. right now, one of the major themes that we've been pursuing on the show is conversations, uh, with the intersection of faith and queer culture, LGBT and faith is kind of like one of the major themes and it still will be to the end of the year. These are really hard conversations to have. If you, I guess for anybody, but like, I mean, from my perspective, embracing kind of like a more traditional sexual ethic of the Bible where you believe like, no, the Bible does teach certain things that certain Mm -hmm. things are good and certain things are less than God's ideal. But also like, how do you just like give people the space to do their life? Um, so Hmm. like with all the conversation that we have in the background, it's, it's my attempt to communicate the gospel through actions and not through words, because I think Hmm. the gospel is one of those things. Like if I can develop a philosophy about parenting, it's one of those things that's caught and not taught i think that's something that i'm learning about the gospel Mm. that the gospel is caught and not taught in the sense that like sure we can go verse by verse and do all the things but that's not really what like impacts people seeing it in action and experiencing it for yourself really is what makes the difference um and so this show is my attempt to preach the gospel by keeping my mouth shut when the conversation is like wow. all about the gotcha moment. And it's about winning the debate and winning the argument. Um, it's about trying to hmm. practice the ministry of presence with people who are often ostracized. And oftentimes are dehumanized. Um, Hmm. It's about validating people. Not because of they live a certain way or they. uh, They believe a certain way, but just because they are a human being created in the image of God. And that puts me in a lot of kind of like uncomfortable situations that challenge my prejudices and challenges my like the running narrative that I have about people and humans. But I think in a very good way, I'll give you an example. One of the episodes that I'm editing like right now is with a, a queer, uh, a queer Christian. She's lesbian identifies as lesbian, um, is a Christian. She's, she posts a lot. And like kind of one of her missions is, um, like standing up for and speaking up for gay people of faith. And I think she had a statement um, recently on her, her Instagram that said something to the effect of like, people try to shame me and condemn me because I'm a lesbian. And she says something to the effect of like, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Um, and when they say that, I say, no, I'm, lesbian and i'm created in the image of god and like i'm proud of that or something along those hmm. lines and it was really confronting because like what do you mean you're gay and created in the image of god It Was like hold on full stop like is she created in the image of god yes or no like yeah hmm. so why do i treat her as anything less
2: hmm.
0: and sometimes the theology piece gets in the way of that gets in the way of actually just loving someone for for being an image bearer. Because they are just because they, like, like, they are. We can have all the discussions about theology and all these other things, but if we're not loving people well, if we're not like seeing people through the lens of value, what good is this gospel? So so the show is my attempt at trying to do that. And I think in the climate that we're in right now, um, the world does not perceive the church as this hub of empathy and compassion and love. Oftentimes it's like a place where vitriol and hate and all that kind of stuff is kind of spewed. And I'm finding in my life that the gospel is communicated more clearly through my silence in proximity to someone than through my perceived eloquence of words. Like I'm seeing Hmm. God undo so much pain and damage, undoing the shame that people are living in. When I just like let him take control and not get so up in arms, like I need to do something and say something or win an argument. I don't know. I don't know that that that, that appeals to a lot of people. Man. If the comment sections are any uh, indication, it's certainly misunderstood to say the least. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, but I don't know. I, I just find like... think that's what we should judge everything by. is The, the comment, comment section. section? Absolutely. We should judge everything by the comment section. I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, nah, man, I'm hearing what you're saying, and it makes me think of a conversation I had with my dad this week. I was taking him to the airport, and he had just listened to Tyler's episode. Nice. And he says, He was like, You know what? Tyler said something at the end that's incredible. I was like, What's that? He said, You, you asked him how he received this thing. And he said, It's a miracle. And what you're talking about, all of this being caught and not taught and winning debates and knowing, you know, knowing the the theology has not changed very many people, if any. But is when we allow room for the Holy Spirit, when we don't take it upon ourselves. Like, yeah, our job is to go, Mm -hmm. right? But it's not our job to change anybody. Like, we're cities on a hill and we're the salt of the earth, right? Um, That means we flavor it and that people see us. But when they're seeing us, they give glory to our Father. Um, And so, man, I've seen your ministry. I've been blessed by it for sure. Um, I think you're right. People get misunderstood by your silence um and that's fine <laughs> um they probably just need to sit with yeah. that for a minute i think people and are they coming from i with, think it yeah, makes are they us loving? uncomfortable
0: like i know why it would make someone uncomfortable because it's the exact kind of conversation that would have made me un- well if, let's be real it makes me uncomfortable being in the conversation oftentimes but it, i would have been mm-hmm. more uncomfortable under the yeah. former kind of way of living far more i would have been th- i would have felt threatened yeah. before i feel uncomfortable now you might have yeah <laughs> tie at, at last year, i lost year. <laughs> yeah man like i feel uncomfortable but i don't feel threatened anymore whereas i definitely would have felt threatened before because how dare you fill in the blank like how dare you do this or that or whatever because then it calls into question what i'm doing Cause I'm only measuring myself at, off of what you're doing. And if you're doing something that's rocking the boat, then
1: it makes me feel real uncomfortable. So it's called I'm listening and we can find it wherever we find all <laughs> yeah, of our, other wherever
0: YouTube. the YouTube is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the show's called I'm listening. The channel is just my name, Justin Koo. Um, yeah, I do a handful of other shows but that's kind of like the main hub.
1: Uh and I'll plug this, I don't think you're probably going to plug it. If you become a Patreon of Justin Koo, he might may, I don't want to promise this. He may or may not send you uh clothes that your <laughs> wife will steal and she'll wear them that's all true. the time. That's true. I may or may not and you'll say stuff like that's mine that's mine and she says no stop talking to me this is my i'm listening sweatshirt so that may or may not if you become a patron uh the free flow show i, don't, I think that's coming up too that's another one of the i mean this yeah you're, you're all We're doing a whole place. bunch of things we got a,
0: a documentary coming out next it. year uh called the humans of adventism documentary we got the free flow show which is kind of like the intersection of faith and culture. Uh, You'll actually hear a bunch of, if you've been following this show, Tyler and Morgan are a piece of that. Um, By the time this episode airs, will Joyce and Will's story have been public?
1: Maybe.
2: Uh,
1: Okay. No, this will, this will go on before Will and Joyce, but they're not too far down down the line. It's it's a bunch of us
0: who, you know, whose lives have been changed by this gospel freedom message and, try and see how does that intersect with the world of culture. And then I also do another podcast called the growing together podcast, which is uh, a podcast on like church growth and culture shifting specifically, like to help your church become a church where all generations thrive. It's kind of that idea. So if you ever read the
1: growing young book, uh, that's the idea. That's what's up. Well, Hey man, Thanks for coming on the death yeah. to life podcast. And shout out to anyone um, who
0: made it through all of this. There was
1: some, there <laughs> was was some a lot death. of stuff. <laughs> Dude, man, there. No, this is, I love it, man. I love it for me. Anytime I hear about someone going from death to life, and it was all involving uh, randomly raised hand, fart jokes. Three of those and, key moments where uh, I,
0: I wasn't planning on and, it. And, like, and, I raised my then... hand to get baptized, didn't mean it. Farting joke got me into Bible studies. And a bunch of friends who bailed on me got me into canvassing. I think God knew like I was never going to be humble enough to just approach. I kind of had to be tricked into it before I'd yeah. give it a shot.
1: But life's been good since then, man and and but he has made you a humble he he gave you a new heart so now you're a humble dude and it's not because you deserved it it's just because he was like here you go here's a new heart my guy (laughs) all right yeah thanks bro uh we'll catch up again soon man appreciate you
3: case I take, we make it to the moon It's too late, can stop it, it's a boom No, I can't, I wait till you approve I got people with me on the other side Spirit on me too bright, I see they tryna ride Coming out for the night, yeah, it's that come alive Coming out for the fight, yeah, we stay alive We stay alive, hey hey ayy, Put your hands down Hey, we ain't coming questions, yeah, we bend down. Creed, I am Adonis, watch the hands now. Went from thinking broke to living rich now. Hey, bustin' with the twos, you watch me slide now. And she look kinda bougie and she bad now. Hey, mama think I made it, is you proud now? Hey, hey. kod only talk holy things i'm a prince that's rakim 23 check the rings fog on my feet on my soul jesus christ set me free Uh, free, uh. only motivation on me now is heavenly lot of people trying to drain me of this energy i talked to god told me people's not my enemies i'm cutting ties with the spirits trying to play with me Go shoot, can't stop we make it to the moon It's too late, can't stop it, it's a boom No, I, I can't, I wait till you approve I got people with me on the other side Spirit on me too bright, I see they tryna ride Coming out for the night, yeah, this that come alive Coming out for the fight, yeah, we stay alive They stay alive, ayy